Hey, Kelly. Good morning. Hey, Lynn. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's Monday again. Yay. March 1st. How about that? Oh, my gosh. Spring is sprung. You know, I always found myself being more reflective on Mondays, but especially on the first day of the month. And given everything that has befallen us in Texas this past couple of weeks, I've really got the topic of resilience on my mind. How about you? Yeah, deep freeze will do that. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? You know, last week when we were chatting, I was really struck by your ability to always put things into buckets of three. And I love the way you just very quickly popped it out of the hat. Well, I look at resilience in, in community and in co-housing in these three buckets. Can you run those by me again? Oh, sure. Yeah, I like threes. So the first one that I was thinking about is the physical design of co-housing communities, that that inspires resilience just in and of itself. Uh, one example that I was thinking about as, as Texas froze was that if we were living in uh, co-housing, most of us would not have four walls exposure to the elements. Most of us would have at most three, but most likely two. And just by virtue of living in a more dense environment, that makes you more resilient. Uh, you're less exposed literally to the elements. Mm -hmm. The second thing that I was thinking about was kind of the pragmatic, you know, somebody is always there. Uh, I had a neighbor during this last storm texting uh, all of us in the neighborhood, trying to figure out who was home because she was out of state, could we help? They wound up uh, also hiring somebody to come and, and wrap some of their pipes. So people helped out a little bit, they, they hired out a little bit. But really in co-housing, you know somebody is always home. So you don't have that same level of anxiety of like, ah, how am I gonna find someone? Instead, yeah. you just put the word out and it just gets done. Right. Um, and then finally, I was thinking about like the emotional toll of being on your own. You know, it's, it's a Texas thing to be independent but independence comes at a cost, you know? I think we're all learning that as far as our energy grid goes, let alone each of our households. It's better to go through it with other people. One of our explorers shared this story where uh, she talked about being alone in the dark. She wow. had no power and no heat, and she just wished that she were in co-housing because then we could be together in the dark, and that's yeah. better than being alone. I love that. I love those three. Let me, let's go back through them again. I, you're, that just sparked all kinds of thoughts in my mind as well. So if we go back to your number one, which I think you called it physical, structural, architectural design, I guess all those qualifications fall into that first bucket. The fact that, you know, I feel a, a sense of, of trust actually in our architects that I know that they are looking out for us in the design. So yes, we it's all obvious to us that we're gonna have fewer exposed walls, that's clear. But I also know that while this was going on, there was a flurry of text messages going to our architect asking her, what about the, what about the pipes? Where are they gonna be? Are they gonna be in the ceiling where they can freeze? And just having her come back with, you know, really well thought out answer after answer, that just made me feel like I'm going to, I'm moving myself into a place where somebody is taking greater care to think about our physical resilience, while at the same time, the rest of the world is just proliferating fear in the press about an increasingly uncertain world. And I feel like this project is working against that uncertainty, which I find very, very, very soothing for me. 
Definitely. Definitely. And, you know, interesting. I haven't lived through a hurricane in Houston and I don't really fully under, I get in over my head. <laughs> no, no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> when she starts talking about water retention, water detention, but I really appreciate that we have people on our team who are designing so that when disaster strikes because of a changing climate and because of where we are located, that they've put years and years of professional experience mm -hmm. behind behind this design. Yeah. So I do. I also really appreciate having um, somebody who has resilience in the forefront of their mind as our architect. Yeah. Well, you know, one thought that kind of occurred to me was the week before all this happened and the news was coming out and I called you and I said, hey, Kelly, you guys getting your pipes, you know, wrapped? And you said, yeah. oh, come on, Lynn, that's not a thing. Is it really? And I said, oh, yeah, you better get yourself some pipe wrapping material and get out there and take care of business. And I think that's just kind of a very uh, layman's kind of way of looking at what you and I are talking about. Like it was new to you. Yeah. You didn't know. And so I think you finally did go out yeah. and wrap your pipes. But I think by the same token, there's a lot of things that our architects have in their awareness that are in their toolkit that you and I can't see. And it's very comforting to know that they're thinking about, they're doing the equivalent of the deep pipe wrapping and whatever that looks like from an architectural design. <laughs> Definitely. So and for the record, yes, we did check our pipes. <laughs> good, good. I'm glad to hear it. Um, yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit more about this practical, pragmatic, because one of the things that I was thinking about, you know, we ended up going up to my dad's the week after to demo um, his house. And what was so great about that little demo team of seven of us was that we had a wide range of ages. So we had, you know, up to my husband, who was the oldest, all the way down to one of the strongest, fittest kids on, on the, the local high school football team. And so we had, you know, kind of the brains and the having experience kind of at the elderly level. And at the younger level, we had these, that, that my nephew and then my son, who's an avid rock climber, able to lift countless massive buckets full of wet sheetrock and carpeting into this dumpster. And I think that's also one of the things that I believe is going to be wired into a multi-generational community is that, you know, if you mix all of these physical abilities and then this experience together, you really have the perfect team. In addition to the emotional ability to handle things, you know, so I, I don't know if that's something you've ever thought about or experienced. Well, it's interesting because so Mike was home, you know, he's been home a lot because of the pandemic and. Um, he hasn't had to travel so much for work. So he was here before the storm and he was able to kind of run around and do all these things. But I was thinking about, you know, when we lived in Colorado, when a big storm would come through, we didn't have to wrap pipes because our pipes were already <laughs> taken care of. But you did have to like get to the grocery store, you know, make food in advance. You could lose power if, you know, if something fell on your power lines, that kind of stuff. And it all fell on my shoulders all mm -hmm. the time. It was just me. And so watching him kind of do all of this stuff, I thought, if he were traveling for work, that would be me doing all of this to get our house ready for this storm. Wouldn't it be nice if we were already in co-housing when some people are, you know, maybe away for work and some people are not, some people are home, some people are trying to, you know, figure out, scramble and figure out what to do with kids because suddenly they're not going to be in school, even virtually, you know, how does this all come together for everyone? So mm -hmm. I think having um, different generations in the same in the same place really makes a big difference because we're all we all have different time frames and different skills and 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of skill sharing or just experience, I had a one of our co-housing members came and slept a couple nights at our house. And then when she went back to her place, she lives in a big apartment complex while she's waiting to move into co-housing. And she does have gas stove, but she she somehow didn't realize that she could just light her gas stove with a match. So when I called her and I said, okay, is house is the gas working, everything good? She goes, no, because I have an electric powered lighter to my stove and the power's out. And I said, well, just take a match, you know? So it's kind of, oh yes, of course, you know? So here's somebody who could have maybe gone for a couple of days um, in a much more stressful situation without power, but just having somebody on the phone tell her, just take a match, you know? Yes, yeah, it's definitely. simple things. Yep. I think about that with boil water too, because you know, boiling water in my kettle for a family of five. I mean, that's like one round of tea. Like, <laughs> that's not going to get us anywhere. But in the common house, we will have very, very large uh, pots that we will use for soups and things for community dinners. And yeah. so I was envisioning, you know, just these huge pots of, of water boiling in the common house, you know, pretty much continuously for the whole community to have water if we have a long-term boil water. Yeah. Uh, that just, you know, in practical terms that I'm not going to stock my kitchen with, you know, giant stock pots, but, but the common house will, and I'll yep. be able to use that. It's great. Oh, exactly. And, and, you know, of course we all have, you know, ideas about a generator in the common house and maybe solar power as well, which would give us, if nothing else, you know, however that manifests itself in the final design, at least somebody's thinking about the fact that we might need to have some sort of emergency power at a minimum to keep our phones charged. Yeah. Certainly in a hurricane, you're not worried about heating. Trust me. I hope you don't have to experience it, but you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, the other thing I wanted to circle back around to that you had talked about one of our members saying afterwards that she was just so alone and a deep sense of alone in the darkness. And um, I really resonated with a story that somebody else told. Here's a single mom with a, a young child who was very nervous because they were absorbing all of their mother's stress and nervousness about this. And their landlord told them in advance of the, the drop in temperature that he was gonna turn off their water. So they actually moved into another family's home. And just by virtue of the fact of that kid then seeing that he's got three adults there, his safety blanket, his sense of security was expand, expanded to the point where he then calmed down and then the mother calmed down and the whole thing was kind of de-escalated. And that's something I never, ever could have thought of in advance of having experienced that and have her share that with me. Yeah, Lynn, that reminds me of a story. I don't know if I've ever told you about this, but um, one of the communities that we lived at in Colorado, they had uh, snow day pancakes. <laughs> and so on a day, they, you'd regularly get like four feet of snow in the spring, like a giant dump. And so one of the older couples whose kids had, had flown the nest uh, would have snow day pancakes. And they'd just make a whole bunch of pancakes in the common house. And all of the like younger kids and, you know, all kids, actually all people <laughs> just yeah, yeah. over in their pajamas. Like, no, just wake up and, and go to the common house. They'd send out an email saying that they were there. And in some ways it was, you know, community building. In other ways, it was also like, let's get out of our homes for a little bit because we're all going to be stuck inside for, for a while. So let me take that burden from you. I'm going to make this meal. I'm going to entertain children with, you know, 
all these chocolate chips and all that stuff in the morning. And then, and then we'll all kind of go back to the rest of our lives, but, but let me lift that burden for a moment. Um, and I really appreciated that when the girls were little. Almost makes you wish for a disaster, doesn't it? I <laughs> strike me down for having well, said the girls that. were definitely excited when they, when it would snow, they were more excited about the pancakes than yeah. the snow. That's for sure. Huh, I wonder what kind of hurricane traditions will evolve in co-housing. Houston. Yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> you know, I just want to wrap it up with the third. I think we've been lacing through and weaving through this third item that you mentioned is kind of this unwritten contract with each other. But I, there was something that, that really struck me about that, that I just wanted to reflect on. I've been a real, um, fan of Stephen Covey for 30 some years. And one of the things that has always stuck in my mind that he says over and over again in his, you know, be proactive, uh, one of his seven habits. And that he also, he, he talks a lot about making deposits in the, in the bank account of a relationship with somebody. And I really see this happening in community. And when I was mentioning this to you a couple of weeks ago, you said something to me that really was, I just thought was a beautiful kind of add on to Stephen Covey, where you were saying, you know, we're not just making deposits in individual bank accounts, but we're making deposits into the community at large. And so we might put in something to do with somebody staying overnight or lending them something. And we don't, it won't come back directly in that same way, but we know that that community is there. We're building trust in the community at large and they will be there for us when we need to make a withdrawal. Yeah, and I liked that you reflected that you're, that's been your experience, that you've had that experience before of the people who show up for you are the communities where you have really, you've put something into the community and maybe not what you got out of it, but something- yeah of yourself went into the community. I think a classic, of course, for us was Harvey, where we've never, we've always been the giver of help and never the receiver. And it was a real shock. And so I had no idea how that works and who shows up. And it was really two groups where I've made enormous investments. And one was my church community. And the other one was my work community. So even though I had been retired several years, I had developed deep relationships with a lot of people and those people came out of the woodwork from all over the metro area for us. It was really, it was deeply touching. Deeply yeah. touching. I love that. And don't, don't you feel like then that binds you closer to that community too, because yeah. now you've not only been the giver in that community, but also the recipient. Right. And so not only in giving does that, does that make a closer relationship, but also being, being the recipient makes you closer. I like to think of it as like you build community one avocado at a time, because I think like when you're going to, you know, make your guacamole and the, your last avocado is no bueno, and then you have to like put it out to the community. Does anyone have an avocado? I need it for dinner tonight. And, you know, three people show up at your doorstep with an avocado and that's you building community just at that moment. And then the next day when you go to, when you make it to the grocery store and you bring an avocado and maybe the limes that your neighbor needs, that's that's building the community one, one little act at a time. I think that is a perfect place to close out today's Monday. What a great conversation. Thanks so much, Kelly. Thanks, Lynn. Really appreciate it. Look forward to chatting next week. Likewise. Bye.